sometimes we meet extraordinary people and sometimes we meet extraordinary people who have done extraordinary things. Today, we get to share our chat with one of those very people. Gail Muller describes herself as undefined by pain and driven by purpose. An adventurer and endurance hiker, Gail suffered from a debilitating chronic pain syndrome that has affected every aspect of her life. In today's Body Stories, Gail shares how she overcame terrible mental health issues and the prognosis that she would lose the ability to walk, but how she never gave up and instead went on to undertake one of the most incredible treks on earth and achieve a lifetime goal. Gail walked the Appalachian Trail, southbound, may I add, which is the harder way. Today, Gail shares her story of using the body she very almost lost to achieve something really rather remarkable. Okay, so restart. Um, Gail, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what brought you to doing the Appalachian Trail. Sure. So I am uh, Gail, 42, live in Cornwall and uh, had always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail ever since I read Bill Bryson's book, Oak in the Woods. Quite a lot of through hikers don't love that book um, because he doesn't finish the whole trail and he only does a section and it made the trail very popular. But I loved it and it was the first time I'd realised that you could go for a very long period of time without having to stay in a building or you could just roam, that idea of roaming the great outdoors. So that was always a goal from when I was in my early 20s and then I got very unwell and I thought, well the doctor said that I wouldn't actually probably be able to walk past 40. So all those dreams of being a through hiker and a long distance expeditionist kind of had to be parked while I figured out whether I was going to give up or how I was going to try and fix myself, really. Yeah. So and then I, I fixed myself and then I hiked the 2200 miles of the Appalachian Trail southbound, which is the harder direction. You make that sound very simple, girl. I was very ill. <laughs> I overcame it. I trekked the trail. <laughs> End of the story. <laughs> Yeah, far from simple. No, absolutely, I can imagine. So can you tell us a little bit more about the, the physical aspects, the, the challenges you were up against? Sure. So what was actually wrong with me was never fully diagnosable uh, along the lines of any clear uh, picture within medicine. And the more I learned about medicine, the more I realized that looking at the biopsychosocial model of wellness and medicine means that there's often no one single cause and that it's multifaceted in how you look after and treat your body and what might go wrong. So I was suffering from horrendous chronic pain um, and I would consistently attempt running, weight training before I met Fitness Wild. Uh, I wasn't doing it properly. And um, until I met them, of course. And uh, I was always trying to be better, to be weller, to get my body working again. And the pain would be unimaginable. I was in torsion a lot of the time. My hips were twisted out of alignment. My shoulders would constantly move out of alignment and my spine. And to the point that, you know, for a long period of time, I couldn't walk properly. I had to lift my right leg in and out of any height. So into a car and out of a car, it would work. But I couldn't, neurologically, I couldn't make it work because the pain was too much. So there was a lot of, of physical pain alongside that comes a lot of inflammation in the body. Um, I, I was always very sporty and I watched my body kind of devolve into some, something that I hated and didn't recognize any, any tone, any fitness that I had, but I would try and scrabble to get some 
and then um, would be defeated by a sw swell of pain and then have to watch any gains that I'd made disappear. And it's so disheartening for that to happen repeatedly over a very long period of time. And you begin to loathe your body because it's not doing what you want it to do and it's not looking how it used to look. And that was a journey in itself, learning to embrace my illness, make pain my best friend, work with it and love the body that I had that was keeping me alive. And then ultimately that change of mindset about how I use my body and how I feel about it allowed me um, the relationship that I have with it now that's therefore allowed me to hike that Appalachian Trail. If I was still angry with it and beating it up and feeling um, angry with myself, I would never have been able to achieve what I did, I don't think. Yeah, that's huge, Phil, huge. And that relationship, sorry, carry on, James. You, you uh, I was gonna say, you tried everything as well though. You, I mean, you skimmed over quite a bit there in terms of, you even had your teeth done, didn't you? You met a guy who said uh, your yeah, pain is so coming from your teeth. Yeah, so I tried everything. First, because I was born with my feet turned in like little bananas like this. So uh, I had to wear casts on my legs when I was a, an infant for six to eight months. I think it's quite, can be reasonably common way back in the dark ages when I was born. Um, and then they straightened out, but I still have slight pigeon toes. So a lot of the time when I started to investigate this, very tentatively, because I didn't want to bother doctors, so it was a, a dual thread there. I didn't want to bother the NHS, the doctors, because I wasn't in an emergency and you know, we're brought up, don't waste doctor's time, just crack on. And the other thing was my personality is such that in no way do I want to admit some kind of weakness or flaw or defeat or that my body's not working how it should because that feels humiliating to me. Like I get left, I'm getting left behind. Everyone else is fine and I'm something wrong. So I didn't really investigate that hard. And I tried a lot of alternative therapies. So people would say, your feet are turning in, so you need inserts into your shoes to rebalance how your hips sit and to open up your, your gait, etc. So I tried that, and, and then that didn't seem to make any difference. And then I tried all kinds of esoteric therapy, which I, I still think are wonderful, complementary therapies, um, you know, meditation, chiropractic, I found hugely helpful, physiotherapy, osteopathy, zero balancing, craniosacral therapy. I fasted in the Thai jungle for two periods of 11 to 12 days of eating nothing and doing lots of transcendental meditative breathing, breath workshops, um, cleanses, meditation, pilates, everything you can possibly imagine, I tried. Um, and ultimately, I, I got a great job seconded by the government to the European Commission as representative of teaching, British, great British teaching, really edit that but that sounds a bit punty <laughs> but anyway I was in Italy and it allowed me to be in a beautiful place in Italy um, next between Lake Maggiore and Lake Como and when I was there I had a very dark period because I'd left all of the things that I hadn't realized were keeping me together and my pain was bad but it was manageable because I was religiously swimming going to Pilates my kind of parasympathetic nervous system was calm because I was around my family and friends and I knew I didn't realize this at the time but they were all hugely structural factors in my wellness. So when I uprooted myself and drove across the Europe to a country I didn't know anyone to start a very important new job, I was very destabilized. And all of those inputs threw my system out. And I was still trying to be fit and tried to do some running and stuff. And, and that pressure on my body also just threw me way back into my, you know, my recovery was terrible. So it was then that I finally called a number that I'd been given by a chiropractic uh, person here. Didn't know who I was going to meet on, in Lake Como, but turned out to be quite a significant person. Um, and he uh, looked at my jaw. He had his dentist wife 
both specialists in their field of how the bite, um, the TMJ and the bite can affect the entire uh, musculoskeletal system in terms of torsion and twisting. And um, yeah, and they diagnosed that I had something wrong with my condyle joint, which meant that my bite was slightly askew. Um, so every time I chewed or spoke, any jaw action was slightly twisting my cranium, which was slightly twisting my eyes, so my ocular receptors, which meant that for my whole life growing up through puberty, um, what I was seeing, what, what I was feeling was balanced with my ears was right, but your brain goes to your eyes for the final countdown. So that was being slightly skewed by this torsion through my jaw and my skull. So the eyes were minuscule off. And so my brain would say, oh no, we need to come in line with your eyes. So my body was constantly, minutely torsioning, twisting itself out of alignment, fighting with what my ears thought was balanced. And that was causing that corkscrew of my whole body all through these years. And every time I'd get treatment, relax, muscles would realign themselves. And then I'd talk and chew and the jaw would twist the eyes again. And then it would all, I'd be like, so that's one theory. There's so many theories. Um, but that, when they put that right, took away 85, 90% of my pain. Over a period wow. of two years, I had braces, I had inserts in my mouth to move my jaw, bottom jaw forward, like a stupid glacier mint that made me speak like that. Um, all the while trying to teach 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds from across the European Union who are very savvy and smart and speak like seven different languages. And I'm at the home class trying to teach them. But it was a, it was a very amusing um, and enlightening experience. Yes, yeah, so the braces were about two years. It realigned everything about how my jaw worked together. The chiropractor and the dentist worked in total harm harmony. They had a door between their rooms. So they'd take you from one chair into the other chair and then they'd, they'd test you um, for your muscle strength to look at where weaknesses might be on the bite paper. Then they'd change how the teeth were every few weeks. And then I started running and then I was able to run and then I was able to lift weights. And then it was when I came home from Italy that I phoned Ben and Jimmy. I remember contacting them from Italy. I found them online and seen their website and thought I need somebody now that I think I can trust that looks like good, that look like good accepting people, not just militant, yeah, or beach body bikini crap. And I contacted them and then they helped build that body back up again for me. And I've work with them on and off when I've been around ever since. So yeah, now I feel like that's really long-winded, <laughs> but you can chip, chip no, it out. No, that's good. It was really good because it tells from where you were and everything you did. It wasn't just you woke up with a little bit of pain and thought, I'll get over it and did the trail. You you tried absolutely everything to get you to where you are. Yeah. And that mindset. 12 to 15 years. Thought. Yes, 12 to 15 years of constantly being uh, pushed back, making tiny incremental progress, and then things going very badly wrong in my body. So not being able to be reliably get up a set of stairs or, or to be able to walk across a classroom or do a lesson without having to go to the bathrooms and vomit with pain or scream or take loads of codeine. Like, and then I'd have a period of a week in six months where I'd feel suddenly better. I think I'm getting better, I'm getting better. Something I've done something right. Then it would stay good for a little while and then it would suddenly all revert back to the bottom again and there was never any clear reason why. I mean, if it was like every time I drink three glasses of red wine in a week, it inflames my body and then I'm in huge pain for six months so I won't drink the wine. It wasn't like that. There was no consistent reason why I was on so unwell and so flared up. So it was a long process and I nearly gave up a number of times. Once I probably was very suicidal, I, I think. Plus it doesn't help your mental health when your body isn't really isn't on your side for a long period of time that you have to carry around this flesh sack with you when you feel so detached from it and it's just it's just like 
an abuser that's in your brain is trying to thrive and knowing that you're carrying around this abuser that's you your body is hurting itself um and you can't stop it so that's very debilitating so that was a whole change of mindset to be able to get around that that shift was fundamental massively and i think something you know what i'm hearing when you were talking about how stabilizing being around your family was for example so your cortisol levels were lower so you didn't have all that inflammation in the body i think nowadays when we talk a lot about fitness and fitness challenges and um looking a certain way and about our bodies we still compartmentalize mind and body you know they're yeah actually they're so highly highly integrated on a daily basis you know whether or not our anxiety is high affects the way we feel as you say inflammation in the body pain how we eat the choices we make um so yeah but you know what you're saying about that that mindset and being able to make that shift one couldn't happen without the other could it i guess is what i'm, no. I'm hearing no. absolutely and it was when i was you see the cycle takes you nowhere the pain is bad so you get low and your mood is depressive over time even though i'm very ebullient even i was dragged down into the mire and then you think it's hopeless and you're never going to get better and then you don't get better because your mind is in agony and even if your body was going to make a recovery you're now you know toxic up here which feeds the inflammation again you'd start to eat poorly or i would go through periods of trying to starve myself or follow really rigid toxically healthy diet does that make sense toxically healthy that's yeah, a bit no that, that is definitely oh. a thing <laughs> that they aren't actually healthy yeah. they're, they're positioned as healthy but they're not yeah, yeah but they're not because I felt like that's the only control I had. I couldn't exercise anymore. I couldn't get endorphins that way. I had no control over my physical pain. Um, so I did have control over what I put in my mouth. So um, because I wasn't being able to, I couldn't achieve the wellness I wanted physically. I was trying to discipline myself into it through, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. You will become this shape or this way. And that will mean that you're healthy, even if your brain is not healthy and your body's not really healthy. And um, that was another growth journey that a healthy body can look like anything. Um, and a healthy body has to be synonymous with a healthy mind. We can all have blips and wobbles. You have to get those two into alignment to be able to make progress towards whatever goal it is that you want whether it's to be able to walk around argle and, and the moment you can't do that that's a huge brilliant goal but your head needs to be with your body whatever it is no absolutely it does and that that the, the point you just made about the we talk about in the work that we do we talk about um how body positivity isn't getting up every day and going dear god i look like i'm on fire check me out it's actually yeah. not being, not succumbing to or being held back by negative body beliefs that stop you living a fulfilling life, that stop you going and creating and being and doing for sure. I mean, a lot of people that are going, sorry, carry on. I definitely still have that, you know, even though I've overcome so much with my body, I definitely still have times where I'm like, I can't go to the beach with these people because I'll put a bikini on and they'll see my body. So I'll just stay here while everyone else goes has fun because they'll all get in the sea and then they have to see my body and I don't want anyone to see my body. You know, we, we all do it to ourselves, don't we? No, we, we do. do. And that's unfortunately because we're still told that there is a, there is an ideal that we yeah. have conform to. You say that and then you think what you've achieved with your body by doing the trail and you're now doing the starting the southwest um coast path 
is more yeah. than what most people would do their bodies in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, I guess when you say it like that, it throws a whole different light on it. So maybe I've got a few more lumps and bumps on my tummy in a bikini than someone else, but this body's done the thing, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tool, isn't it? Your body's a tool and it got you round. How far is the Appalachian yeah. Trail again? How many miles is it? 2,200 miles and it's like something like 22 ascents and descents of Everest in terms of elevation. So it's, and it's not like, for people who don't know, it's not, you're not walking on what would be like a coast path here or a nice country. Oh, no, no. Is, you are going through woodlands, up mountains. Yes, it's all mountain sides. Um, some of it's boulder scrambling. With 30, it's all with like 30, 35 pounds on your back. Elevation like this. You know, you often have to stash your poles and boulder climb up the side of mountains. Coming down is equally difficult because you're just scrambling through boulders, shale, landslides, thunderstorms. You have to ford rivers up to here with your poles and your pack kind of on your head on ropes. So, yeah, it's really tough. It's the hardest of all the long trails in the US, but it's not the longest. This one this year is 2,600 miles from uh, Canada to Mexico, but it's much oh, easier because wow. the terrain is graded. Is that one on the list? Yeah, yeah. So did I say to you last time that I'm aiming to be the first Brit woman to southbound the Triple Crown in the USA, which is the Continental Divide, 3,200 miles, um, the PCT, 2,600, and the one I did. So they're the three big trails, the Triple Crown. I don't think any Brit has southbounded them, because southbounding is a lot harder. They've all gone north. So I'm aiming to do it south. Can you just imagine how to get this body to do that thing when this I nearly I nearly just threw this body away and thinking that it was useless pile of junk and then I loved it a bit <laughs> gave a bit of time listened to what it needed and now it's doing all this cool stuff for me and I love it that's incredible. incredibly cool so how did you mentally and physically prepare for such a massive challenge I mean, that takes, this, and I'm sure along that journey, there were times where you came up against mental blocks as well as physical blocks. Okay, so physically, um, I worked with Ben and Jimmy, and I didn't have a lot of time because I was moving between places. I was working in London, two different jobs, traveling home at the weekends. Anytime I could snap, I got with Ben and Jimmy. Um, and towards the end, I worked with Ben because he has um, a specialism in kind of the fine movement stuff that I wanted at the time. Um, and that was what they both agreed was best. So that was very useful. But they do say you can only prepare for a through hike by hiking a through hike. So you can't prepare for hiking for seven months, 20, 25 miles a day unless you just do that. But what you can do is shore up all of your um, kind of structural frame so that it can take the impact. So I did that physically. Mentally, my mum and my sister were worried initially that that would be the thing. They didn't worry that I would not have the grit to push through the pain because I've pushed through pain so far. Mentally, they were like, but how are you? Because my sister represented Great Britain for many, many years um, sailing around the world. So she has a very sports science mindset because she had to be, her coaches put her through her paces for 15 years. So um, I said to them both, I have used this mindset to get me through every day of 15 years of chronic pain, you know, you can carry on another step, break it down into chunks, know that the day, so when, when I apply that to the long trail hiking, by thinking, 
this day is this many hours long. I just need to focus on between now and my Snickers at 11 o'clock. And then I'm gonna focus on between 11 o'clock and one when I can heat some water and have some super noodles. And then, you know, I can filter some water by stream and do that. So when it got overwhelming to think this, I've got to take my body on my own, no guarantee anybody would hike with me for six months in the forest by myself when I already have like loads of trauma issues about that kind of stuff. So I had to break it down into tiny manageable goals. And over time, I, had to, I could let go of that because I, I was doing it and it wasn't a problem. But I think breaking it down to incremental goals and never quit on a bad day. So if you're having the worst day, it's pouring with rain, you've twisted your ankle, you're homesick, you're lonely, you're bone exhausted, wait till the next good day and then see if you still want to quit. So that was, that's an important thing that all hikers think about. And uh, yeah, and I had, the thing that keeps you going that long is what is your why? you have to have a why. And my why was, um, I'm gonna show myself what my recovery has been and I'm gonna show my body how far it can go with the right mindset. To the point that uh, I damaged my foot around just maybe just before, or just after halfway through and they didn't know what was wrong with it. We took, I, eventually I hiked on it for like 300 miles. It was so painful. They x-rayed it in the hospital and said it was, um, inflammation or a sprain of some description i had to take a few weeks off to give it some rest and then i i went to the himalayas in that space of time and then um i came back and did the rest of the trail through minus seven minus eight degrees in the winter snow up to my calves brutal terrain got home after finishing the trail went to the hospital here and they said you have two breaks in your foot one of them displaced you've hiked 800 miles with 30 pounds on your back across mountains with a broken foot and I was like yeah mindset yes <laughs> <laughs> next week the moon <laughs> so that blew me away that showed me god really if you get to grips with your brain and how you think about things you can do anything because if someone said to me then we're going to break your foot and you still have to go 800 miles you're going to do that I'd have said no way being in the moment, knowing what you can already achieve, just bowl on through. Hmm. Absolutely. And it made two really important points there. I think, you know, for a lot of the individuals that you know, James will work with and I, I will work with, they come with, you know, their goals aren't necessarily walking the Appalachian Trail, but to them, their goals can feel really big. It might be that they're accessing movement for the very first time or, um, you know, trying to practice managing their stress, you know, something that feels very alien and different to them. And they come with this very big mindset, I want to. And actually yeah. part of the journey working with them as coaches is bringing them back to exactly what you articulated, which is it's about breaking it down. It's into, it's these really small, let's just focus on here to here, A to B, and then we're going to yeah. go to C. And also helping them understand that progress isn't a straight line. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be the equivalent of a broken foot. There's going to be injury. There's going to be the days where you face plant, you know, the biscuit tin because life is stressful and that's just the way it is, you know, and that it's, we go up and we go down, we go backwards, we go in circles, but we're always keeping forward momentum. And when we can keep that in mind, that's really, really powerful. I yeah, really like and, the, um, wait, sorry the good day wait for the good day and then still feel you want to quit so i think you can apply that to absolutely everything yeah only quit on a good day 
Yeah, and that idea of progress that you mentioned there about it's not linear and you might face plant into the biscuit tin. The equivalent for me of that is like, some days you don't want to get out of your tent because it's the same old shit for another however many hours. All you've got to do is walk and it's raining and it's incessant rain and your pack is soaking, you're soaking. You're four days from getting to a town or a village where you can hitchhike to go to someone's house to get a shower or wash your clothes. And you might only go three miles on that one day, but then you know you've made three miles progress out of 2,200. You didn't just sit down in your tent and not get out. You got out, you went as far as you could possibly go, and then maybe you pushed yourself another mile, and then you sat down. And then that's okay, because you made some progress. So you're able to feel okay about yourself, I think. Even the tiniest bit is worth something. Absolutely. That support you must have got on the trail as well. You say that you wait until you can hitchhike and you'd go to someone's house. Are these just strangers or people that um, is like a network of people help the trailer? Trailers? Trailers? Trail walkers? Yeah. 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 So it's like they're called trail angels. And I guess they see so many people at certain points of the year coming near their town that they make their own network of looking after uh, people who are hiking. So you'd stick your thumb out on the road. Somebody would throw you in the back of their pickup truck. You'd hold onto the sides with your pack, bumping up and down some back road till you get to a tiny, tiny crossroad, dusty town where there might be a liquor store, like a, a corner shop equivalent. And they'd say, do you want to come? wash your clothes you and your friends like thank you very much <laughs> they just let you in and then they give you snacks and they make you some cookies and then they'd say oh you guys can all sleep on the garage floor if you want we'll clear it out so then they brush it all out and let you lay down your mat so you could be in the warm and give you a shower in the morning and then you'd, you'd feel like you're in love with them and then they take you back to the trail and you get on the next morning and off you go those little things are magic people would leave coolers of cokes and crisps and snacks by the side of the trail um, roadside so you cross a road and there'd be just a random cooler full of ice that someone had left that morning with loads of drinks in and you might not have replenished your food for days you know on your last dregs before you get to the next place you replenish so it's like heaven you cross a river and it's in a like a net bag there's a whole bag of beer floating in the river waiting for hikers to come by and take one yeah so there's lots of love and good vibes on that trail on all trails people wanting to help each other reach their goals it's amazing cheerleading in the truest form human kindness yeah yeah incredible. yeah lovely and you said are there any points oh sorry you know raise your sounds more important you go <laughs> I, was, I was just gonna say um girl you said something about you know on the days where you're in the tent you're like same shit same same day i've got to get back out i've got to do it and you said about being in the now you know i'm here now and i'm doing it i'm doing it there's a, it, you know, when we talk about, you know, meditation and mindfulness and all of that kind of jazz, there's a, there's an expression about there's the life we are here now, the one we're right in now, and there's where we want to be. And the space in between is where we experience stress. That's where we experience negativity and anxiety and all of those things. So how do you think actually the power of just bringing yourself back to that moment, one foot in front of the other? You know, how instrumental was that to you being successful on the trail? Yeah, 
absolutely instrumental because if I kept extrapolating to the bigger picture and all the potential obstacles that could be in between, I wouldn't have moved forward at all because your imagination can conjure a million different things that could go wrong. The bear that might take your food or kill you in your tent the, the next night, the stranger you might meet that would not be friendly to you with a gun, you know, a hunter. You could go anywhere. Your imagination always creates things that are worse than anything that happens upward. So I would just bring it back to the now. I can cope with what's ahead of me. I'm safe in this terrain. As far as I can see, looks safe to me. I've looked at my maps. I'm in control of my immediate environment. And the minute I start to feel out of control, I'll sit down, take a snack break, check my maps, check my water situation, and then I can make a plan for the next little bit. So that, when you were feeling out of control, is where you have to come back to. You, in that moment, and appreciate what you have got. I'm safe, I'm dry, I'm, I'm full. Um, I, I now have someone coming behind me who's a bit slower, who I know I can trust. So you, you look at all the things you do have in that moment and you feel grateful for them. And that helps you feel more grounded and positive as well. Because never did the things I, the worst things I imagined could happen. They didn't happen to me, thankfully. Um, so I think it was a waste of brain space to catastrophize all the things that could go wrong. Absolutely. Good lesson for life in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there any particular highlights of the trail that stick out to you? Oh, wow. Jumping off bridges into rivers, um, floating down streams with cans of beer, <laughs> um, seeing bears and bear cubs fall out of the trees and run around us, rattlesnakes, the kindness of strangers, sleeping on mountaintops. Um, without a tent, just cowboy camping in your sleeping bag on your tarp, looking at the millions of stars in the middle of Maine where there's no light pollution for hundreds and hundreds of miles around. Um, there's so many, so many. Wow. Yeah. And all of this has led you to now potentially bring your book out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have an agent uh, who signed me last week and she's very excited with a great London agency. And um, I'm putting together some samples and she's taking them to some publishers um, really soon. And I already have one publisher who's pretty interested, well, wants to sign it, but I'm just seeing what might best suit it. I'm very excited to write it. And it's about the journey I've expressed to you today, the, the roller coaster of the trail and the characters and the fun and the adventure overlaid with the callbacks to the roller coaster of life I had to get on first to be able to have this great roller coaster of adventure. One feeds to the other. That's very exciting. And what do you oh, think are the lessons that you have taken from that experience? I mean, obviously you've got some big challenges ahead of you and I'm sure they will, you know, go forward with you on those physical challenges. But in those days, in the everyday, in the everyday, what have you taken from those experiences that you apply now, that those people who are listening now would be able to do the same, do you think, or benefit from? I would say probably uh, my maxim is never give up. That there's always more in the tank than you think. There's always something around the corner that can turn the light on when everything looks a bit dark. Never ever give up. Keep, even if it's a shuffle, just keep moving forwards. Um, never quit on a bad day is the other one. Also um, have hope um, that things will align. You might not be able to understand how things are gonna work out, but often, and I don't mean this in necessarily a spiritual way, I just mean, Things that you go through give you tools to cope with situations that are coming down the pipeline later. So although you may be being really challenged in something mentally, emotionally, physically, 
um, try and look for what you're learning in that. Even if it's a really bad experience, you will, there will be diamonds in it. There will be, if you shake it, there'll be something that falls out that you will take forward that will enhance your life down the line. So no bad experience is ever fully wholly bad if you try and look for the, for the diamonds that are inside of it, I think. Yeah, Ruby's in the rebel. Oh, I never heard that. I like that. Ruby's in the rubble. Ruby's in the Love rubble. It. Yeah. Amazing. Good. Well, where okay, can we... so... yeah, oh, there you go. Where can Follow... we find you? <laughs> where can you what? Where could uh, the Reframe Club members, if they want to get in touch or know more about your oh. story, where can they find you? Yeah. I'd love the Reframe members to get in touch with me. Um, I'm on Instagram as Appalachian Gale or Appalachian Gale, depending on how you want to say it. Um, I'm on Facebook as the same, Appalachian Gale, and I have a blog that I'm just about to launch. There's lots of content on it now, which is gailmuller.com. So you can come find me on any of those. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Gail. It's a story that goes beyond inspiration. It's incredible, and I can't wait to read the book.